0: For more information, visit www.novic.co. This episode is sponsored by our partners at Clever Tap Gaming. Clevertap Gaming is the all-in-one platform that enables game studios and publishers to create personalized player experiences. It's the only solution that provides a real-time understanding of player actions and integrates lifecycle marketing, live ops, and remote configuration into a holistic experience. In other words, you can maximize engagement, retention, and monetization through real-time segmentation and targeted offers and you can run live ops campaigns with ab testing, push notifications, in-app messaging, and much more. To discover how CleverTap Gaming can best serve your games team, simply visit clevertap.com/gaming or check out the details in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode.
1: What's up everyone? And welcome to today's Novic Gaming podcast. I'm your host Alex, and this is the interview and insights segment. The size of the global gaming market is massive, between 250 billion and 340 billion, depending on who you ask. 250 billion reported by sites like World Economic 40 Forum and 340 billion, well, if you ask us at Navik, who compiled a market sizing that goes beyond just in-game services, gaming consoles, unit sales, and extends into esports, gaming-related ad tech, game streaming, web three, and more. But obviously, this massive market is broken down into, ge- into geographies. And today, we're going to talk about a geography not often as publicized as the West and the Asia's India. The India Brand Equity Foundation, a government agency, expects India's gaming market to soar to $8.6 billion by fiscal 2027 from $2.6 billion where it's sitting at today. And India has always peeped in and out of the main gaming scene with games and betting portals like Mobile Premier League and gambling-oriented apps. So today, we're going to talk about the opportunities to invest and build in India's gaming market and, of course, the headwinds that come with it. So, to do so, I'm joined by two fabulous guests. First is Saloni Segal, a founding general partner at Lumikai who recently raised a $50 million gaming and media fund earlier this summer. Sloney has a litany of experiences at places like Morgan Stanley, KPMG, Barclays, and London Venture Partners, as well as an MBA, MBA from IESE, which, damn, I just said all that and I'm like, wow, that's like an MBA rock star resume. Um, <laughs> and if I'm not wrong, she's actually been on the pod before, um, a long time ago, back in the early days of Novik's founding. So welcome back.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I came when we launched... Lumikai Fun One, the first time, and it's only fitting that I'm back for Lumikai Fun Two. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. It's a
1: perfect, it's a perfect, um, I love symmetry. Um, <laughs> uh, and then next, I'm actually really excited to introduce the Shah, co founder of Studio Syrah. Um I'll have him tell us all about it, but Studio Serra is a game studio specifically building for the Indian gamer. Um, appealing to true India-oriented lore and heroes. Their first game is called um, Karukshetra Ascension, if that's correct, mm-hmm. um, a strategy card game. Um, welcome to the pod.
3: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Alex.
1: Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, first of all, I'm a huge card game player myself, as mentioned um, over email. Play tons <laughs> of Marvel Snap, Hearthstone, Legends of Runeterra, Magic. Um, and I read the Ramayana a really long time ago, uh, as a kid. Um, but I forgot besides like <laughs> Vishnu and, or Vishnu, that's like, I forgot every character. Um, so, <laughs> um, I think it's really, it would be, it'll be really cool to dive in and talk about, um, the, the, the lore and the kind of card game that you're, that you're building. Um, before we get going, um, I would love for you guys to tell me about uh the, your journeys to the current position that you're in and um also maybe what your favorite mythological figure from india lore is um saloni why don't we start with you
2: oh wow um well you know i think you you talked a little bit about my uh, professional background but uh, but hi everyone i'm saloni segal um as alex mentioned i'm the founding general partner at lumikai and we're india's uh, first dedicated gaming and interactive media vc Uh, We've been fortunate to be uh, early stage investors in in several amazing companies like Studio Syrah and Iloilo and Bombay Play and Loco, among so many others. And we've been very fortunate to see the journey of uh, the Indian Games founder uh, over over the course of the last three years. And uh, personally, I've been fortunate to see the industry from You know, all sides of the table. I've been an investor, an entrepreneur, and uh, an M&A banker. Uh, Prior to Lumikai, I used to be with London Venture Partners, which is a a leading European uh, gaming VC, which also invested um, at seed stage. And before I transitioned to LVP as a VC, I was the CEO and co-founder of Truly Social. Uh, It was a venture-backed gaming studio building immersive social worlds uh, way before the metaverse became cool. And uh, prior to that, I spent the first six, seven years of my career in investment banking and private equity with Morgan Stanley, with Barclays, with a Switzerland-based private equity fund and uh, amassed over $10 billion of M&A deal experience. Um, And uh, I guess, you know, for me, co-founding lumikai was a little bit of life coming back full circle because i spent uh, i grew up in india i grew up playing video games and um, you know came back to india to launch a fund investing in in the games industry so it feels like life has has landed back uh, full circle um, just uh, i guess you know a character in mythology my god <laughs> that's a question you don't get asked a lot um but, you know, I guess a character in, in uh, Indian mythology or Hindu mythology that I find uh, very compelling is, uh, is the goddess Lakshmi. She's the goddess of prosperity and wealth and good fortune. And um, she's, she's venerated for, for, for this. And, uh, you know, she's also the divine consort of God Vish- Vishnu, who is the protector and preserver of the universe. Um, she's celebrated and worshipped during various festivals, so she's very, very important uh, from from the Hindu uh, mythology perspective. And she's one third of a triad of uh, a three Hindu goddesses, uh, Saraswati and Parvati. And um, it's uh, it's a deeply um, yeah, I think it's a deeply the way the her her embodiment. Uh, means a lot for for Indians, uh, especially, and uh, you know we've we've seen the recognition and reverence for Lakshmi going back hundreds and thousands of uh, years, even through not just in India but in Hindu temples throughout Southeast Asia. So
1: that's awesome, Abbas. You better have a really strong one as well. That's yeah. <laughs> 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 I
3: like, my background, I like do I know enough? But yeah. Awesome. Uh, Should I go? Sure. Uh, so I'm. I'm Abbas. Um, let me. Let me start. As to how I got into this, I guess uh, my my father is a progressive man for his time, and and entered a, a computer d- dealership business like, when we were really young. So we got hands on a PC at an age where you know most Indians didn't, and uh, you know that, that's why we, uh, me and my brother, my older brother. Uh, both of us fell in love with games, right? So we, we started with some of the classics that made, up, made it out to India, like the Microsoft games, uh, and then we never stopped, right? We would wake up in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, unknown to our parents, just, just not sleep and game and away for like six hours at night. So that's how, that's how the love for gaming emerged. Um, in terms of my background, uh, I'm, I've, I've been pretty much a generalist. I did my economics degree uh, undergrad in Berkeley, Uh, Came back from there, you Uh, know. We got a Stanford enemy right here. Uh, We came back. I I did another startup at that point. That was that was more in the education space. uh, Joined one of the premier kind of MBA institutes in India called Bangalore. Came out, uh, uh, you know, uh, somewhat uh, cookie cutter fashion. Joined the consulting industry. Uh, It was a great experience. Did that for five years. I was at Bain. Uh, you know, travel the world, you know, pursued what I wanted to as like my, my wanderlust and, you know, uh, just, just roamed around and, and saw different industries. But then, you know, a, a, a calling still remained uh, to, to, to do something which was actually meaningful, which I was passionate about. And uh, surprisingly enough, the pandemic kind of caused that, right? Like, so the pandemic caused this lurch where you were forced to rethink as to what you were really doing. And, you know, I met my brother, at that point, back at my hometown, and we were like, "Hey, there's no, there's really no Indian games we want to play, right? Like, we we have this amazing culture, we have this amazing history, and we don't see any of it, right? Like, I a lot of people around me know more about Greek mythology than Indian mythology, right? Which is which is truly like a calamity, uh, and, and and we really thought that's just ripe for content and, and for creation. That's how Studio Sina began, uh, and yeah, I can I can get into that journey. Uh, it's obviously been a wild ride since then. My <clears throat> favorite character, this is something I share with probably a lot of India, but there's this interesting kind of almost anti-hero known as Karn, right? So Karn is this incredible character. The Mahabharata in itself is a is a really interesting tale because it always questions the very values that it, it supports as well, right? So so any any kind of support of a specific value that you see, you'll find a counter-argument within the text. So Karn is this interesting character who... Technically, comes up with you know from from a low background, like from a in, a, in the traditional caste system, uh, a, a lower caste background. But but he's the most prolific of them all, right? Like he he's the best archer out there. He's he's cursed by the fates, but you know, friendship is on his side and talent is on his side. He he technically joins the wrong side of the war, but he's incredible, right? So even even as we build our first game, uh, the, the the Instagram comments are fifty percent like, where is Karan? So <laughs> he's is, he is an incredible character uh, and, and I love the, the, the grayness in the values uh, that he brings just because of his presence.
1: Yeah, that's super awesome. I think I've also always found those kinds of characters interesting, the ones that are a little bit more complex and dark in a way mm-hmm. you know you have superman but superman's always supposed to be good but then like is <laughs> a lot more interesting because he's got like a little bit of darkness in him True. um so that's that's very cool and i guess uh that's a character that everybody's going to be looking forward to and at some point in this podcast we'll start talking about you know the the kind of story that you know, the stories in Indian um, mythology and stuff like that. Um, before we dive into that, uh, you know, I sort of want to ta- start at the higher level, you know, at like what does the India gaming market look like and sort of what games should be built. Um, essentially, there's an enormous number of people living in India, like around like one and a half, one and a half billion people. Um, and there are, quote, Three billion gamers on the globe right now. So I'm curious to know from your guys' perspective. And, Abbas, you just mentioned that you've got a background at Bain, so it's time to shine with these consulting interview questions. Um, what's the overlap right between the three billion gamers in the in the globe and and those in India? Um, any thoughts here? So
3: I think I think uh, Saloni is uh, very up to date with his research. The last uh, I have seen, it's it's uh, you know almost four to five hundred million, right? So. We almost have 4 to 500 million gamers here. Uh, there's obviously <clears throat> a lot of nuance there to be studied in terms of how many are pure. Let's say, you know, real money obviously has a big hole here. Uh, but but from from what I can tell, that that's that's a huge overlap, right? So so you're looking at almost a 10% plus easy constituent like lying right
1: here in India of the, of the global gamer base. Got it, Sonny, I think to complement that. 4 or 500 million yeah
2: you know i think um the indian game gaming market has for long been underserved and you know un, unappreciated uh, i would say and I, I and you know it's it's not uh, it's not always wrong when we launched the fund you know 3 years back we heard a lot of narratives around the indian gaming market right we often would hear things like well indians don't play games indians will never pay for games even if they do pay for games it's all real money gaming, uh, which is, you know, games with cash-based outcomes, which essentially drive uh, gaming in India. And you know, I've tracked markets like China, I've tracked markets like Turkey, and I've tracked, uh, tracked markets like Vietnam, um, and, and, and seen the rise of gaming in global markets. And, you know, that's been a, that's an experience over the last decade. And there were certain inflection points that, you know, we saw in the market three years back. And a lot of those inflection markers have now hit the right beats where last year, in fact, you know, India was the largest mobile game uh, c- consumer of mobile games in the world. You know, Indians constituted anywhere between 17 to 20 percent of all mobile games download. And this is per New Zoo, but also as, as per the research that we did. Right. So India has and India has a 98 percent mobile market so that's a lot of demand which has uh, emerged over the course of the last 3 years and it's not surprising because an average indian consumes 20 gigabytes of data a month right the biggest beneficiaries of that all that
1: youtube
2: uh, it's video content <laughs> but, but also gaming right so you you go in a in a in a flight or in a bus, or, you know, public transport, or you're out out somewhere standing in a supermarket waiting in line, the one thing that I just ask people to observe is just, you know, forget the data, forget the numbers, just look around you and see what people are engaging with. And you will see invariably, it's either people watching video content, or they're actually playing games. And, And that behavior is now becoming very, very entrenched, which has now led to this whole myth around, well, Indians don't monetize, that's altering, right? Um, And the fact is that Indians are adapting to IAP behavior. Indians are there, and the IAPs in fact are the fastest growing slice of the market. You know, the previous, uh, uh, you know, you'd ask somebody from the uh, real money gaming industry and they'll tell you, well, that's 90% or 100% of the market. But, you know, every year at Lumikai, we undertake what we call the State of India Gaming Research Report. Um, And last year, we actually, we sliced the market and RMG is a significant part, but it's only 50. It's a little bit more than 50 percent. Right. The remaining has been IAP and ads and uh, largely that has been driven by mid-core and casual games. So that spurt in terms of usage, that spurt in terms of game adoption, is is definitely arriving and has arrived. You know, average Indian consumes and spends anywhere between eight to nine hours a week um, playing games, and we have seen the emergence of the you know, the likes of a BGMI or a Free Fire, which are, you know, one gigabyte games, heavy games, mid-core games, which previously were thought unplayable for a market like India, do do incredibly well. So there is a depth to the market, which I think has been unexplored, underserved. Um, and, you know, companies like Studio Sera are now increasingly building for that space.
1: Yeah, there's so many things to react to in there. Um, you know, I think I've also kind of had this this preconception that again, like the the, the wallet size in India is is lower unless it's for R M G, and the fact that you just said like the market is like, predominantly mobile. Um, I would love to just dive into those two pathways, and I think later on I was going to ask about the fascination in, with betting, but I think this is a, now a good time to maybe like jump into it. Um, can someone explain like why? betting is such a big deal in India. Like, I mean, obviously there's like massive gambling markets in the West, but I think, again, I've always thought about the get- India gaming market as being predominantly things like Dream 11 and Mobile Premier, which are just mostly just betting on outcomes. What is it about like the consumer base that um, in India that actually like is, makes them, I guess, have, have proclivity for that kind of genre? Is there anything like specific in the way that like they behave or um, what they enjoy uh that can shine light on that
2: so you know i think what we've noticed you know the indian uh, gamer trajectory is very different from that of the western gamer right the western gamer were exposed very gradually to gaming so to speak right you went through different generations you had arcade games you had pc games you had console games you had mobile games and you were slowly exposed to various business model of games, you know, paid games and then freemium, free to play, subscription, Web3. You know, there's been this very linear trajectory, almost uh, very sequential in in a way that it has happened. The Indian uh, gamer is uh, somebody who is perhaps also a first time smartphone user and they've been exposed to everything all at the same time. You know, they've been exposed to video chat, audio chat, messaging, gaming, social media, sometimes all at the very same time. And all of this has been a, a, has happened within the last three to four years. So in one aspect, the Indian gaming market is very primitive, but also very sophisticated and very discerning because their experience of games has been that of what has been exposed to them from, let's say, Western titles. And their first experience of paying in games was that of ca- games with cash-based outcomes right, that's when an Indian gamer started, you know, making small purchases on digital platforms. And that, that evolution is, is how, how we'd see gaming has, has expanded. However, now uh, there is a, research shows that there is a very high degree of overlap between gamers who play fantasy games and games with cash-based outcomes for, for fantasy and BGMI gamers and who are playing shooters there's a very large overlap of that. Now, is there a migration of user ga- or gamer interest from you know, games with cash-based outcomes to games with, uh, with let's say, IAP-driven mechanics? And that's, that's definitely happening because over the course of the last two years, apart from the introduction of, let's say, digital payments, we have seen now uh, across the board the, out of the top twenty-five, uh, you know, top-grossing titles in India, they have seen revenue uplifts of anywhere between forty-five to seventy percent from the India market. Right, so so there is definitely a increasing adoption and graduation to let's say, you know, uh, other kind of gaming experiences. So, I, you know, that that's at least our belief. But mm. enough to hear what the boss says.
3: No, I mean. I was, I was trying to come to, like, uh, I, I guess your question is, is there something Indian about it, right? Like, uh, which, which which is very interesting as a question. So if, if you divide it into two pieces, like, uh, one, one being the fantasy sports, right? I, I feel that ties in very directly to cricket, right? Like, uh, cricket is a, a fascinating, like, deeply engaged in sport. People love it. And then if you can tie that to a cash outcome and you have, like, you know, real, like, Imagine a sport you're already watching, and then an app which enables you not only to win money but also feel super engaged, right? Like, I'm sure you tried a fantasy sport. Like, if you if you bet on something and then you're watching that match, like you love it. Like, it's a it's it's like you're you're watching each ball to see what's going to happen. And, and I feel that that definitely like you know took off on its own. Like the cricket combined with that outcome was was one reason. And I think the second is this is an entire genre of kind of card games, right? Like so. Uh, card games, which are RNG based. And I mean, this is anecdotal, but, you know, my grandparents, you know, that's all they were doing. Like when when they were in their old age, uh, they would, they would call like, you know, the people, uh, you know, they they had other old friends around them and they would play like little card games like these, like poker and rummy. And uh, so I feel as a, as a culture, you know, that there is a lot of familiarity with these games, their outcomes. uh, So, and I don't know whether these have spread to, you know, other countries as well. Uh, but I feel those are maybe two causes for like how it, it managed to kind of uh, establish itself uh, pretty quickly and pretty well without, without much of a struggle, right? Um, I mean, the third thing, I don't know, but like, you in know, in, in a country which, which does have so much economic diversity and poverty, I, maybe cash-based outcomes matter more, right? Like, uh, it, it is possible that the, the kind of enticement of uh, winning money through something is actually more important, and and I, I don't know. We could test this with other countries with the same economic kind of demographic, and and whether that holds true. But these are just my speculative thoughts on on why. But yeah.
1: No, that's that's very. It's very interesting because I guess I've always kind of wondered whether or not it's something. It sounds like it's a combine. Might be a combination of what. These gamers were first introduced to, um, in terms of what, what what the first app that was offered them, and they were like, "Oh, like first app that was offered. What is gaming? Oh, gaming is betting, right? Or gaming is real RMG." And then there might be some sort of like um, like cultural intonation of the origins of cricket, and maybe like the habituated behavior of the of the of the economic diversity, and so the betting feels like you're doing something to get an actual outcome. And I think that's all. That's very interesting, and I think like understanding that demographic and understanding how those consumers. Think is obviously a critical part of investing in any kind of like developing gaming geography. I think there's a lot of like different nuances also between um, the LATAM and Asia gaming markets that are very, very different from the West. Um, but in, the, in that vein, uh, you know, before we sort of jump into Studio Syrah, um, I'd love to kind of like understand a little bit about how that impacts the, the fact that it's predominantly mobile and the fact that there might be a predilection for RMG, the kinds of budgets that games are made on in India. Um, I read that, uh, Arjun Vara, the manager of the Xbox expansion incubator is trying to support local development in India and get games published, not only on Xbox, but on mobile. But the goal is like really cross platform. Um, and so if you're trying to make like mostly mobile experiences, um, what I presume it's not a game development budget in the same that it is in the West or the Asia's. So, um, I guess maybe a boss. You're you're building a game right now. How are you thinking about like those CPIs and and the budget production and the production budget in order and based on the LTVs of the current India consumer? Yeah.
3: See, honestly, we're we're innovating, right? Like we're we're pretty much first movers in a in a in a pretty wide open space. I don't. I wouldn't say I have all the answers, but you know, I I can tell you where we're headed and what we've seen, right? Like, uh, we're obviously not going to have the budgets of, of Western games. We, we don't plan to have... Uh, th- there are things which benefit us because talent is obviously cheaper here uh, and, and talent is most of the cost, right, like in, in developing any game. So uh, it's, you know, the, the same position of, let's say, an art director uh, in, in the US, I, I'd say we have, like, it's, it's almost a 10% in terms of the costs we would pay here uh, for most of those equivalent roles. That automatically slashes the budget in a big way we're obviously making for mobile. So mobile budgets don't require AAA VFX and, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to uh, kind of look at that. And, and one of the reasons we chose, let's say the card bachelor genre, uh, was in part because we, we knew the production costs could be managed, right? Like we, we knew 2d art could be made. We knew we could scale if we needed to, and at, at a very low cost. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, you have to take that into consideration. Um, the whole CAC LTV thing is is something which is evolving in our favor, right? So it's 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 constantly shifting. The CACs are obviously ridiculously low here. Uh, you know, you again, it would be less than almost five percent of you know what the CACs you would see in an equivalent genre in the West, let's say. Uh, and, and and the LTVs for well-established games are far higher, right? So if you if you look at an RPD, for a clash of clans, let's say it's, it's, it's 80 cents, 70 cents and above, right. And, and, and you're requiring, you're required, this is in India and this is like data for three years back. So it, it must have further evolved now and you're requiring customers at, at 10 cents or lower, right. So, so you can definitely establish a good CAC LTV equation. Uh, you also have to fit your production budget within that also, but given the scale you can achieve, like the economics will make sense. And make better sense over time as, as people start to like the LTV is obviously a
1: hmm. Interesting. And I think like you answered one of my questions, which was why was your first game a card game? And maybe there's also an opportunity here for you to so tell us a little bit about it. Um, but uh, it's interesting that you, the card game genre, at least in the West is actually a mobile genre that has some of the, that is like probably one of the smallest gaming markets, um, mobile gaming markets or genres. Um, but the, usually the LTVs are pretty high because of the card acquisition model. Um, so wondering how you're thinking, is there something specific about maybe the India gaming market where the card gaming market is bigger than in the West? Um, as, a produ- as a big card game player myself, I know that it's kind of tiny and everybody's like, oh no, card games, we don't play those. And I'm like, I love card games. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about what Studio Syrah is building and the thesis behind building card games uh, in India. Um, obviously sounds like one of those is that the production budget can be a bit lower.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so so, see, pr- production budget was was one reason. Uh, we we looked at a few other markets as they evolved, as they hit the kind of uh, the inflection point which Saloni was talking about, right? So if you if you look at China, like uh, ten years ago, if you look at Japan, fifteen years ago, uh, you know they were at a similar point where they were just evolving in terms of you know gaming was being taken up, mobile gaming was actually exploding, and at those moments, you know the the transition from casual to midcore was often through these ccgs right so a, a lot of these collectible card games they used to rule the market they were almost 30 40% of the market and and they were innovators right so they were one of the first games that hit the market in terms of mid core genres and we thought india could face you know a similar inflection point in that in that zone uh, i mean the, the 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 big thing i think for us was also uh, the fit of the world and the genre right like the the universe is so vast uh, the the kind of the number of heroes, the number of cards—that's uh, that, something which we could actually enable and give you that sense of a vast universe through a card game, right? And it was when we started off, it was uh, like a two-person team. We've obviously grown since then into into a much faster thing. But but we were convinced that even if we had like three people, you know, we could we could make this game, right? Like we we knew that we could execute this. We knew we could execute this at a certain quality. Uh, we don't intend to be a card game studio uh, the intent is to be uh, a strategy game studio which is which is themed on indian content and we will evolve the genre uh, but this was our go at uh, a, a producible game with potentially you know substantial outcomes uh, which we could unlock uh, through india
0: itself even.
1: got it um, and then, you know, it sounds like you're leaning a lot on the mythology and the lore um, to be a differentiating factor. Um, do you believe that your game relative to other big card games in the market is doing any kind of gameplay innovation that's, you know, um, similar to maybe like Marvel snaps, like vertical three lane um, dynamic, which is, you know, one of the first card games that basically just like made something go horizontal, make it go ver- make yeah. it go vertical. Stuff with yeah. them, like mana curves. Um, tell us a little bit more about the actual gameplay design. Yeah,
3: absolutely. So, definitely, you know, I very jealous of Snap's innovations. I think I think Snap really kind of uh, you know Ben Rhodes years at Hearthstone really really gave him like a great great sense of like what needed to change for mobile. Uh, where we innovated was actually again a function of uh, what we believe was important to the lore and the mythology. Right. So in our in our mythology, you know, the greatest heroes are not swordsmen or, or ma- like they're, they're actually archers. Right? So <clears throat> Karan, as I mentioned, <clears throat> Arjun is another big hero. They're all they actually wield these like epic kind of uh, godly astras, as they call it. like They're like, like these arrows or these weapons that they get from the gods. And we really wanted to bring that out. So we really wanted to bring that sense of you're an archer and, and you fight very different from an upfront close warrior who who actually, and, and that we want to bring that battlefield tactics to the game, right? So so we actually introduced a two-row system where you have like melee rows, like and, and range rows, and your heroes can also be ranged or melee. And then that creates a whole set of dynamics. You can get free kills, you know, off a certain tactic. You can establish board control in whole new ways. You can reverse the board control in very interesting ways because there are actual moments where you always get you can get zero counter damage and, and you can actually like take the advantage from there. The second major thing we wanted to do was make the hero play a much larger role, right? So in in Hearthstone, essentially, your hero's kind of a punching bag uh, and and it kind of sits in a static manner and and we really wanted to change that. Uh, So again, the hero weapons are something you learn at a very primary stage. You know, they're permanent, they don't kind of expire in the same way like Hearthstone's durability happens. Uh, So those are more like kind of core gameplay elements that we innovated on. Uh, but in a larger sense, what we also thought was that India needed story, right? Like uh, we we like games, not just from a pure gameplay perspective, the, the way the West adopts it, but we actually like narrative elements. So we invested a lot in creating like a, a kind of a pure single player campaign mode. Uh, and that and that fuses very well with the PvP. Um, but, but that was something which I don't think a lot of card games have done very well. Uh, you know, create like a very meaningful single-player campaign, which also serves as an onboarding, which also actually invests you in the different characters.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those are some really interesting points. I love the the bringing the frontline, backline dynamics of a lot of like, uh, just like the strategy games, like uh, Fire Emblem and stuff like that, where you're running this kind of like chessboard system. I think that's very interesting to bring to card games. I actually... Don't know if I've seen that too heavily. There's like there's mechanics in card games, like where you have like walls and stuff, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like an actual divided system. Certain cards of traits can can act in that manner. Um, and I guess like you're talking about this like form of narrative and this form of story. Um, and maybe I have a hot take question, and Sloney, you can jump back in here. But um, when I was venturing this past summer, working in venture um, venturing. Uh, I, we were actually looking at another uh, India-based trading card game, nothing to do with Studio Syrah, but one of the pieces of feedback that might have come from uh, just kind of thinking about it was that there is obviously a paucity of games that are laced in India original IP, but perhaps, although the India gaming market is untapped, that IP isn't, quote, transferable or digestible by a Western audience. Um, and IE would have a problem with global growth down the line, um, what's your guys' reaction to that statement? Um, because, mm-hmm. you know, I personally find, like, yeah, besides some of the, mythic, some besides some of the summons, maybe, like, Shiva or something like that in Final Fantasy, um, there isn't a lot of India, um, or mythos in Western gaming, uh, yeah. so...
2: Yeah, you know, I feel, uh, look, we have all grown up playing Western games. And, you know, there's definitely an oversaturation of dragons and, um, and, uh, you know, the Western mythology, I think they're, they're, the market is, 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 is full of it. And Indian lore has been incredibly untapped in terms of uh, global storytelling, right? And you know, every market, you know, as, as Abbas mentioned, that every market which under, which has a very strong cultural influence, right, um, there is a deep, untapped local market, but also a global market, right? Now, for example, in the early, you know, if let's say we, you know, circle back 2007 to China, th- there was a transition from 2004 to 2007. You know, in 2004, um, foreign titles dominated the Chinese market. In fact, nearly 60-70% of revenue came from foreign titles, Taiwanese titles, uh, you know, Legend of Mir, etc. By 2007, majority of the revenue started coming from domestic players because there was a shift of original IPs being created by local developers for domestic uh, audiences, which rapidly started gaining traction, right? You had Fantasy, Westward Journey, you had World of Legend, you had Wulin 2, uh, and you had a bunch of, Chinese focused games, which started to build and started to trailblaze, and they started to leverage local culture and history, and that paid off quite handsomely for their creators. But over time, we've now come to a world where culture is being exported, right? A couple of years back, there was a game called Love Nikki, right? Uh, who would have thought that this It was a Japanese developer, right? Who would have thought that the largest uh, user base for that was American female gamers, right? or Una Musame, Pretty Derby, right? Again, um, a Japanese title transcending ba- global barriers and starting to do well uh, in in the West. And we have seen several titles break out, right? Even from cultures which are very, very uniquely uh, native to that particular region, like a, maybe perhaps a gentian impact, right? And now starting to transcend across the world. Uh, I believe there is the Indian storytelling, the Indian narrative, the Indian lore is is relatively unexplored, and it's a new aesthetic, it's a new palette, um, which which hasn't really been, um, I guess the boundaries have not been pushed off with by both Western developers as well as Indian developers, and now we have Indian developers who are starting to, you know, like like a studio SIRA. In fact, you know, I think in the in your beta you have a large global diaspora who's actually playing the games, and in fact, I think you have a South Korean. Female player who's one of your most avid, uh, uh, who's who's one of your power power users, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, she's still there. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> no, so so those are those, those are interesting points, right? I mean, I, I think I think I think we do have a, a, a journey to make, right? Like th- there is there is a path to popularizing this, which which may not be instant. And if we keep going for the things that are popular, then we'll just keep making Marvel movies and Marvel games, right, forever. So, 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 there's obviously someone has to innovate, and and, you know that that's where that's where the opportunities lie. Um, In terms of why I feel uh, the you know these stories have value, is um, there are actually very few ancient cultures that actually are are valid to date and and actually have like a rich heritage remaining, right? So, uh, in in terms of if you look at an ancient mythology, there's there's maybe there's Greek, Norse, Egyptian you know, Chinese and, and, and Indian, right? And and Indian mythology is probably one of the few ones which persists till date. You know, our, our people are still named after these characters, you know, but there are, there are stories about them circulating to date and in a way which is very much alive. You know, it's not it's not that this was our past, it's it's that this is our culture, right? Like, so, so elements of those exist to date and, and they're very valid, they're, they're very important. They actually have... You know, nuance and, and, and people people care about these things right uh, I, I feel that has power right like the, the fact that a, a set of stories, uh, a set of characters have, have lasted this massive test of time uh, gives them some inherent value uh, which, which I think uh, a global human will, will consider and will and see value in. Uh, the second thing is I feel now almost everyone has an Indian friend right like we're, we're all over the we're all over the globe. Uh, we we've spread ourselves everywhere, uh, you know. We're, we're clearly we're clearly one of the you know highest expat populations uh, which which are living everywhere. And and hey, if you have an Indian friend, then then maybe you have the curiosity to understand their background and where they came from. And and, and if that Indian friend is recommending that game to you, then then maybe that's that's why we begin, right? We we begin by appealing to those Indians outside, and then they introduce it to the others. And, and of course, uh, you know it's it's never going to sell on just the IP. Right, we we have to make great games first. Uh, I, I I don't think anything is going to last long if it's purely hey come visit this culture, uh, unless we can actually make gameplay that is compelling as well. And and that's what we've seen, as Saloni said, right? Like there were we still have players who who know like Jack shit about what's going on from a narrative point of view, right? Like they're they're playing and they're learning and they're slowly getting into it, and you know eventually they'll start researching a little bit, but they're in it for the gameplay for now. So you know, you you start over with the CCG swath, which actually is interested from a gameplay point of view, or whatever genre we're building. You know, you, you start from, especially if you are going to the West, you uh, for to a completely foreign audience, you begin with gameplay, right? And and then the interest develops, and then you have a ball that begins to roll. But it's a it's a future we would like to invest in. You know, it's coming at some point or another. You know, we may be the first movers, but there's tons of games waiting to emerge. If if culture is you know the kind of the, the source point of ideas, then, then we have a ton of them, right? So as soon as we have the talent and the tech, I think tons of them are going to
1: emerge. Yeah, that's a, a particularly very interesting nuance to talk about how a lot of the mythologies across, like, Egypt and, and, and uh, you know, Greek mythology are, like, very autovistic and that the um, Indian mythology is, like, much more modern and that people are still... Um, still like reading it and naming their kids after. I think that's, that's really, really interesting. And like, again, like from my experience, I remember reading the Ramayana. I don't remember a lot of the specific story, but I remember there being romance. I remember there being a lot of drama. And I think like, yeah, I also agree. I think I'm pretty bullish on the fact that like, we do need maybe a refresh on the kinds of characters. Like how many more Zeus's do we need? I'm not sure, probably zero. Um, (laughs) And uh, so it's, it's, it's very cool and and very, very exciting uh, to think about the the untapped dearth of um or like right that's uh, untapped um uh ip that's that's Mm -hmm. sitting uh in india um but i think i i do have some questions that are more about like the headwinds in the india market and i think it might be a good time to transition to talking about uh building and the regulation in the india market that i perceive to be quite tight um and perhaps this is a nice serving of the availability bias, but I feel like a lot of the majority of the gaming news that I observe that's covered has a lot to do with, again, gambling and regulation. And so before we dive in and get, you know, you guys' expert opinions, I'm just going to sort of like read off some facts um, for our audience who might just not know what's been going on in the space so far. Um, But earlier this year, uh, I believe that Indian gaming makers penned an open letter calling for industry consultation over concerns about legislation that would allegedly treat all games under the same rules as gambling. Um, The way that I interpret this, that games in India would be indistinguishable from like RMG and gambling games. And if anyone in the audience listened to my podcast on player betting with Zach Dixon a few weeks back, we know this is like pretty unideal. Um, and relatedly, I know that this is a big financial consequence because being considered a gambling app um, means that you pay the online gaming tax. So investors like Tiger Global and other PE shops are asking the prime minister to reconsider the onerous tax regime for online gaming. Um, the goods and services tax, I believe, is around like 28%. Um, so there's obviously no mystery that a group like Tiger and other investors with that agenda are trying to lobby for that because they're investors in gaming unicorns like Dream 11 and Mobile Premier League, et cetera. Um, and I think from this report, Dream 11 would experience something like a 80% EBITDA drop if they had to follow the new tax regime or something like that. Um, And then finally, there was a period where uh, PUBG Mobile, one of those popular games in India, was taken offline by the government under data privacy concerns. And I believe that, like, as Saloni, you mentioned that they've re-released the game under Battlegrounds Mobile India, BGMI. Um, So maybe this indicates that a new game is approved by the government. But these are just some of the facts that I kind of observed and put together. And maybe Saloni, we'll start with you. How do you as an investor with a dedicated fund to this space feel about some of these, these headwinds?
2: i think the first is we we clarify 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 because there is a lot of misinformation um, you know i think which is the 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 current uh, legislation in fact very clearly establishes what the government has done essentially is to very clearly establish a taxation regime on games with cash based outcomes and games with non cash based outcomes so in fact this 28% gst is been imposed on not now no longer the contest entry value, but it's also been reclar- clarified. It's now on deposits, and it is uh, on games with cash-based outcomes. So that impacts the real money gaming space. So essentially, games which are not monet- are not uh, leveraging those mechanics don't do not have that same tax regime. They do not have that same taxation, um, and that that's the first clarification. The second clarification is uh, with respect to BGMI, right? Uh, there were national security concerns uh, which were raised with respect to BGMI. So while from the outside, it seems like oh, a game has been banned and there's been taxation regimes, the Indian government is very anti-gaming. I believe that needs to be, both need to be looked at, uh, you know, uh, they both have happened, yes, but both need to be looked at within the right context, right? And And the game has now also been relaunched, right? Uh, if one was to look at the draft animation video games task force and the draft animation video games committee that the government is now putting into place and it in fact uh, captures uh, gaming and video gaming particularly as a, a sector of innovation as a sunrise sector as a sector which is going to generate employment uh, and in fact um, there is a com- recognition of the fact that it is more arts and creatively inclined and that's what the policy framework also lays out in fact it lays out this, the, it's the Animation Video Game FX Committee and Task Force, right? So there has also been that recognition, which has also recently been established. Now, with respect to, you know, how does it impact uh, the, the market and how does it impact us as investors? There is no doubt about it that a taxation regime such as this does will have an impact and it will adversely impact revenues and, uh, of, of these uh, RMG businesses, right? But, I, you know, I've been in the market and I've tracked the market for a very, very long time. Back in 2004, India imposed what was called a securities transaction ta- tax on stock trading, right? So the brokers would have to pay a sec- STT on buying and selling of, of securities. Now, as you can imagine, you know, we're talking now about games which probably have small outcomes at max. They're spending about, you know, 20, 30, 40 dollars a day. Whereas when you're doing stock trading, you're you know you're 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 in thousands and hundreds and thousands of of dollars. Right. Um, everybody said the stockbroking business is dead. You know, people are not the stock markets are dead and uh companies are going to die and it's going to be incredibly brutal and by the way india is probably the only country in the world and i think in my knowledge it is the only country in the world maybe south korea but india's the only country in the world which actually does this um, that business stock market and stock trading that business has grown 50x today as of today right so yes there is going it's you know there will be dis- there will be value destruction. There will be companies which will fail, but this will also be a time where companies which are going to be more resilient, which will figure out a way around their business models, especially on the uh, cash gaming side, will will probably figure out some ways. And it will perhaps be, you know, survival of the fittest. Those who have been not profitable, who have not been meeting unit economics, um, th- those are going to suffer. It is probably going to be harder for new incumbents, but also you know, within, let's say, you know, over the course from 2004 to 2010, we actually saw innovation. If I was to take that example in the stock trading business and one of the most valuable businesses in the country actually was built during that time, right? So, you know, I believe one has to take these steps and these considerations with a little bit of, I say, you know, a little bit of distance and we, it's too soon for us to see what, say what the impact of this will pan out. What as investors, what we believe is that that slice of the revenue pie, which games with cash-based outcomes represented. In any case, building challengers within that category was becoming harder. You know, these companies were already very overcapitalized. There was a lot of venture money which had already flown into these businesses and there were already very large incumbents already in place. So you could say that that was a red ocean if from a venture capital perspective. Now, as a, a venture investor, when we look at let's say blue ocean or white spaces right the sec- the the balance half of the revenue pie that's what's interesting for me that's what's growing fast that's what what is the next decade of gaming behavior is going to look like that's what i'm interested in because that's where outlier returns are that's where the alpha lies right and for us uh, you know we've always maintained that you know the india gaming market has had depth and breadth far beyond what has been classified as as real money gaming our portfolio is indic- indicative of that depth and diversity, and so for us, you know, we we believe that the next next you know five six seven years we're going to see emergence of real category leading bets uh, within the India ma- market. Indian companies building for India, Indian companies building for the globe. There is no doubt about the fact that the Indian gamer is now very soon going to become undeniable, right? Uh, and I think a lot of uh, global uh, strategics are paying attention. In fact, over the course of the last three years, we have seen three large strategics come and set up shop in India, and say we're doing investments in India. And I, you know, we we know them very well, and we've been part of their market entry strategy. Um, so, you know, I, I believe there's there's a lot of momentum here which is untapped, and it needs to the narrative narratives need to shift.
1: That's, uh, I'm very convinced. I was like, that's why I said I have perception that regulation is tight. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I, I guess like, I think obviously like with all I, whenever I like read these things where it's like, oh, like lockdown in China, lockdown in India, I'm like, well, it surely can't be a real lockdown, right? Like, um, and so I think it's, uh, it's really interesting to observe that nuance and kind of have you with your expert opinion, someone who's been working and investing in that space, tell us a little bit about like what the dynamic is, because yeah, I think like from the West, I read that article and I'm like, Oh, all games are going to get taxes if they're gambling. And in reality, it sounds like that's not exactly true. Um, they're trying to tax games that have RMG components to them and the space that you guys want to invest in in the studio and where Studio Sura is building is in that. I love that, that the blue, engine, the blue ocean, the white space of India, um, which is very, very cool. Um, and thanks for sharing some of the uh, the corrections there because I think uh, it's it's hard to kind of have insight in the same way that it's hard to have insight into like a lot of the different regional markets and you have all these, you know, you develop all these heuristics and shortcuts and you're like, oh, XYZ Gamer is like this there. Um, what are your top two production challenges, challenges right now? Um, and what do you think can be done to mitigate those? I've heard that a lot of like, uh, network availability can be quite tough. You just said that uh, <laughs> India, most people on their phones are turning through 20 gigabytes of data, wondering if there's any kind of like bandwidth concerns and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, so production. I think uh, you, we we can't go through production without talking about talent. I guess so. That's 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 the primary job as as a founder is is, is to put the right team together. That that's what I see on the ground every day. So it's definitely improving, right? But 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 we have a long way to go, and you know most of most of the work we do is often, uh, you know, picking up young folks and and training them and skilling them and and making them grow, right? So so we don't have like ripe right picks of like a riot and a blizzard which we can just directly hire and go like, hey, just 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 do your thing now. Uh, so so that's that's definitely if I if I had to get into specifics, right? Like so we've been into the kind of art outsourcing business for a while like india has been doing that for a while and and we have that covered right so we have really good artists we have really good coders because this whole generation of startups has has generated a lot of good tech talent uh, i think it's the it's that amalgamation of the two which is which is sometimes difficult to pin and that comes with experience right so so stuff like vfx uh, you know stuff like animation you know things which are a, a real mix of creativity and tech and uh, you know what we we can execute but uh, you know the, that that kind of senior level talent which can envision and you know put together and and think about production while being creative while thinking about the technical so so those people who can, who can bring those things together uh, you know that is hard to find uh, so we we have to kind of grow that talent in house and, and that's definitely been a challenge and uh, it's 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 led to a bunch a few of us like wearing way more hats <laughs> than than we bargained for um, in terms of the data, like, I don't know if this is, I know, I know the India market and, you know, building for mobile is just hard, right? Like it's, there's, there's just a million different devices. Uh, each, each device has its own quirk, you know, obviously at scale, you start hitting those low RAM devices, right? So, and and if you want to cater to that, like that's a huge technical challenge. If you, if you want a good quality game to run really well on like a 2GB RAM device, uh, you know, just, just have a go at it. Like it's, it's, it's really, really tough. You definitely experience like rants and you know uh, people going like, "This is not playing on my phone." And each version of Android is different. Each device treats it differently. Uh, so that's that's definitely a production challenge which we've, which we're learning over time. Uh, the good part is you know we we feel not too many studios know how to do this right. So it is it is the reason big PC companies are buying like, you know, uh, mobile talent, because because that skill pool is, it's really something you learn by doing. Uh, you know, you have to figure out how to automate smokes. Uh, you have to figure out how to run tons of different devices without manually checking it. Uh, so it's a skill if we can build, then, you know, we can really build for many countries around the globe uh, very easily. But yeah, that's, that's tough.
1: Out
2: of curiosity. Oh, Anita, I have to say, that's a skill. You know, I used to build uh, mobile games before, and that's a skill. Uh, and we used to have an India-based SKU, that's a skill not very many Western developers have, mm-hmm. right? Because they were earlier used to building for iOS, right? right? Building for Android, and India is on 98% Android market, right? iOS is, is a small, very, very small fraction of it. But building for Android is incredibly challenging. Uh, and, and not many Western developers actually have that skill set.
1: Yeah, I was just about to ask, out of curiosity, how many, approximately how many different smartphones are you building for at a given time? <laughs> It like it depends
3: on 15, what twenty no it depends on what you call a, a smartphone like do you, do you call each brand a different smartphone do you call the different devices under those brands different smartphones do you call the the combination of brand device and, and Android version a different smartphone yeah. so if you if you include just purely device you know we already have like eight hundred on our list right like that's what Android eight hundred
1: devices. Yeah, it's just like
3: you know, like 10 different versions of, of just a OnePlus, right? Or like 10 different versions of a Redmi. Okay. And, uh, so but, but they work very differently. It could work perfectly well on one and then just, just crash on another, right? So it's not yeah. as if, if I build for one brand, it doesn't mean it works on all those devices yeah. on that brand. Uh, so it's, it's quite... Uh, <laughs> we, we're still figuring it out, but, but that's, that's, that's pretty challenging to, to really crack it for each and every device.
1: Yeah, I bet. And that's, I guess I was asking for, like, the, the highest number we could have, right? So basically, like, software, Android software times device times, like, hardware update yeah. equals numbers yeah. of smartphones because, yeah, so it's like 800. That's a ton. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of version control there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And uh, I guess it's like one of our final questions, um, since we're running up on time. You know, uh, Abbas uh, Solny is one of your investors, I believe, right? Um, and so, can you talk about your guys' working relationship and sort of what uh, value Lumakai brings to the growth of your business? Yeah,
2: say only oh, good things, Abbas. Say only good things. No <laughs> bad things allowed.
3: No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> you know, uh... No, I, I think we got uh, we feel incredibly lucky. We feel we're, we're, we're like super grateful to have found Lumicaret. Before them, we spoke to uh, a bunch of investors, and I think for most of them, gaming is a very new, unknown space, right? Like the, the way they think about it, uh, just like having this operational background that both uh, Saloni and Justin bring is is incredibly helpful, right? So uh, from the get go, you know they're their network, uh, their ability to ask the right but tough questions, uh, you know, their their insight into you know what. For example, this whole regulation matter, the market headwinds. You know, we we don't even need to look past just Lumicat, right? Like you know, we we know they're on it. We know they're doing their research. Uh, we know they're you know kind of rooting for us, which is a huge deal, right? When you're when you're a first mover and you're you're fighting in a tough market and you're just beginning, you really just want. Uh, Psychologically, you want people who believe, right? And, and that that that's a huge thing. And you want uh, you want people who know their stuff to believe even more. Uh, so you know that that brings huge moral support. They obviously bring a lot of technical kind of network and, and direct talent and 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 they they have the maturity to uh, to to understand the the time and the energy taken to to succeed at this, right? Like and and all of those are are huge deals. We've, we've had a fantastic kind of working relationship and.
1: Uh, locked out, honestly. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> thank you, Abbas.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. How cool is this? Thank you guys for being such awesome guests. Um, I learned a ton about what's going on in the India gaming market, the opportunities, the challenges, and thank you for your insights. Uh, Saloni and Abbas, we usually conclude by having you shill your own contact info. Um, if there's anyone in the audience that wants to get in touch with you to invest, syndicate, work for you, how can they get in touch? Uh, Saloni, maybe we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, Twitter. Uh, at twi- I'm Saloni Seigal on Twitter and find me on LinkedIn or drop us an email at hello at lumikai.com. We uh, typically get back, if not me, but the team is has access. Uh, so yeah, we we love uh, we love people reaching out to us. So please do.
3: Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm Abhas Shah, uh, Studio Cinema. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And uh, you can email me at, uh, hello at com, and we'll definitely get back to you.
1: Dang. I love that. I should, we should make, we should make hello at blah, uh, standard, a standard thing. It's usually just like general info at American airlines. Like, you know, no one wants to answer that email. <laughs> All right, guys, on that note, we'll be concluding. Big thank you, Sloney and Boss, for coming on. And thank you to our listeners. I'll be back in two weeks. Until next time, friends, feel free to hit me up at alexandra at Novik.co. If you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns, would love to hear your feedback. Um, and so see you guys next time.
0: If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.